The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 6, Nakazat. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV Podcast, episode 211, where we are talking about season two of The Punisher, and we are talking about Nakazat. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And I'm one of your hosts, Chris. And oh my god, I think if we have to keep saying Nakazat throughout this show, it's going to get difficult. <laughs> it's literally just going to be us giggling in the background and... Derek, our illustrious producer, just constantly going, mm, I'm going to dead. <laughs> well, that. exactly, because they'll never hear you laughing over and over again in Nakazat. We could just translate it because it is the Russian word for punish, really simply. That's where the name of the episode came from. So we could just call it episode six, punish, if we wanted to. Or we, we could just go, you know, this episode. Mm, yeah. Like, we can go colloquial if we were, or we can go the ep. <laughs> or, because we're hip, we're down with the well, kids. So that app was solid, man. Lit. Oh, let's not, Chris. Let's <laughs> yeah, let's not do okay. that. Um, I, I might come off worse on, on that one. Definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but of course, before we get into our spoiler-filled review or app, uh, please remember get in contact with us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV podcast. We have our spoiler posts on there uh, where you can leave any of your thoughts or discussions about this season of The Punisher. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can send in voicemails through our website at Defenders TV Podcast or send us in your thoughts uh, by email. Just uh, send them to feedback at Defenders TV Podcast.com. Yes, and we've already got a piece of feedback about the entire season already, which I haven't wow. read because the, our wonderful uh, fellow defender who sent in that feedback marked it saying this is the full season. So I haven't even read it yet. Thanks so much for that feedback. We will be reading it on our final episode. And anybody else who wants to send in your feedback for your thoughts on the full season, just mark it as a full season spoilers or any episode that you want to talk about, mark it which episode it is so we don't spoil ourselves as we go. Thanks for all the feedback so far as well. Mm-hmm. There's been a ton coming in and it's really good to hear everyone's thoughts and views on this second season of The Punisher. Yes. But without further ado... Uh, Let's get into some of the episode details. Derek, who was this written and directed by? Well, the episode was written by Christine Boylan. Uh, This is her second writing credit on The Punisher. Uh, She wrote The Judas Goat, which was uh, episode six of season one as well. Um, She's also written two episodes of Cloak and Dagger, so a couple of uh, other Marvel shows that she's worked on. And not only Marvel, she's also worked on DC shows. She worked on Constantine, writing two episodes of the original season of Constantine as well. So lots of work. Uh that was a rest in peace. That was a great it was, show yeah. when it was around. It was. I feel sorry that poor Matt is over in, uh, overdoing Constantine on Legends of Tomorrow now, uh, which is kind of a comedy show in comparison to Constantine, which was more of an adult show than most of the DC shows. Um, it's a very yeah. different character, or it's a similar character in a very different situation uh, with Legends of Tomorrow. Exactly. I think it was one that, if it had it came out now, post-Black Lightning, post-Titans... Mm-hmm. It would have, it would, it would have found yeah, its yeah, place, and it had a loyal oh, family. Yeah. But um, um, yes, shame. But at least she's with us now, writing Punisher. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Christine. The other thing as well about Constantine is it had Doctor Fate in it, the DC version of kind of Doctor Strange in a way. Well, it had his helmet. Yes, it had his helmet. Yeah, but it 
was so juicy and promised so much. Yeah. And Constantine was great as well. You never know, with Matt Ryan still under contract at DC doing the work on Legends of Tomorrow and with the DC Universe streaming service out there, you never know, there may be a return of a Constantine for a season two or for a, a standalone show as well. You never know. Maybe Christine Boylan can go and work on that as well. But directing this episode was Jamie M. Dagg. Uh, this is the first episode that Jamie's directed for The Punisher. Uh, he does have a background in music videos. Uh, done Broken Social Scene and Black cool. Rebel Motorcycle Club. Done videos for them as well. So very cool. Excellent stuff, yeah. Uh, broken Social Scene. Gosh, I need to get back into them. And we saw Black Rebel Motorcycle Club live last yes, year, didn't we? Yes, we did. Crazily enough. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Amy and Frank Castle develop one of the photos of two young men embracing at a mutual friend's funeral. With the photo in place, Amy and Frank use it as bait to lure out the Russian billionaire Poloznev to confront him about his involvement in the events in Chicago. After kidnapping Poloznev, he reveals all about the Schultz's pursuit to put their son, David Schultz, into the White House, and explains the photos were for blackmail and to control the closeted David Schultz and his ambitious parents. Elsewhere, life begins to get intense again for Billy Russo, as his relationships with Dr. Dumont, a surprise Curtis, and his growing band of veterans become increasingly complicated. Meanwhile, Dina Madani's official story of events between Russo and her come under fire from Detective Sergeant Mahoney, and she is paid a visit by the Pilgrim. As events begin to collide, Dina, Curtis and Frank come together to try and figure out what to do as the Pilgrim's mission leads him to do something that Frank was unable to do, put a bullet in Poloznev. So finally, a reveal of a bit of the major plot that's been going on six episodes this season. Finally, we have the photographs developed. Chris, do you want to kick us off with our bullet point number one? Yeah, it's a photo for blackmail. Mm -hmm. And this was an interesting opening. Yes. So I think probably, mm-hmm. the, probably the, as of right now, the in most interesting opening of this season and last season, um, because it essentially has Frank going to, well, we'll call it a porn studio, but mm-hmm. we all, we can make assumptions based on dress and discussions in there that this is a pedophilic studio. Yeah. And the man who Frank decides to redecorate his face openly says look i don't care the negative stay with you there's no digital trace yeah um this is all below board yes i never actually thought about the opposite of all above board that's actually exactly what it is isn't it Chris? Yeah, below board. <laughs> there also is that really intriguing opening where you have frank and amy standing at the door and frank is trying to persuade him to let him in and that's something that frank can usually do just by going i will kill you through this door <laughs> if you don't let me through and it's the exact opposite with this guy he's got a really heavy door blocking the way in and it cuts to amy who's dressed in schoolgirl outfit basically so it does give an indication of what kind of place they're going to. And obviously the reason they're going to use this place is because she's going to be developing these really sensitive photographs and doesn't want to have any form of negatives and any form of what actually is within those photographs released at all. So It's weird because until that moment that they cut to Amy mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, you know, take in what she's wearing, I actually thought this was a safe house. Yeah. Um, and when it, the slide opens and then closes again, it's kind of that moment where the, the guy behind there was like, going, oh, no, it's Frank. I've, you know, I've got to deal with Frank and, yeah. again. And, uh, and then it takes this kind of different twist, you know, where they're going just simply to get the negative of the photograph mm-hmm. and develop it. So, uh, yeah, it, it was really interesting. And I love the fact that Frank 
so wants to kill this guy. Yeah. Um, and yet he's pulled back from that by Amy. Um, and then as they walk out where she goes, you can always burn down the place uh, if it makes you feel better. Uh-huh. Uh, which was a really nice touch because actually he will probably now get more justice yeah, yeah. Uh, than simply just being killed because obviously the fire brigade will be called. They'll see what it is about the studio. He's, his cover is effectively blown. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it was kind of poetic justice from Amy. Um, but it constrained Frank. And of course, we see this constraint a bit with Frank um, all the way through this episode because you, you do have that nice uh, moment where him and Amy talk about Frank's um, own children, and in particular his daughter. Absolutely. Uh, and it, it kind of unsettles him uh, throughout this episode a bit, which I kind of quite liked, because when um, he comes to his circle of safeness with Curtis and Madani, where it is like a therapy session mm-hmm. for the three of them, which again, I thought was really, really quite cool. He's like a confession, where he's like, I let off two people that I should have killed today. Yeah. I'm not feeling great about that. Now, you know, help me out with this. Yeah, absolutely. This might be my favorite episode from John Bernthal of both seasons. I think the length, the strengths he uses in this episode, the lengths he goes to, that moment with the pornographer where he's about to kill him, he's like a caged animal in that moment. You can hear him breathing and seething, wanting to kill this guy. And a couple of scenes later, sitting on the bench talking to Amy about his daughter, you can feel the tears in his eyes welling up at the idea that his daughter would only be about a year younger than Amy. Um, he he is treating her like he would his daughter. You know, he's being as protective of her. And, he's, and Amy's trying to get across to him. Let her live in your mind. Let her breathe and let her feel like she is alive in your mind so you can you can get over the pain that has been caused to you and it's a really wonderful performance from them yeah and i i think it's also they're actively showing us now that frank has a soft spot his daughter is his blind spot and that's caused amy yeah. that's caused uh later on we'll talk about how, why he lets another person off mm-hmm. um because of that person having a daughter and around the same age. So this is interesting. It's becoming his blind spots, probably the wrong word, mm-hmm. but it's a killy heel. Yeah. It's probably the best. Yeah. And it's interesting because you think of the Punisher as a violent machine who dispenses justice. Yeah. Uh, and punishment. Um, but actually with John Bernthal, as you said, it's like, Yes, we get a very ripped man doing some crazy action and blowing people's heads off. But Mm. then you get these scenes where they expand out why the character is the way he is. Yeah. And why he he actually does have this bleeding heart. And I'm not talking about it in actual Frank putting his hand in, grabbing someone's heart, pulling it out and going... Uh I've now got a bleeding heart. I mean, emotionally. Yeah. He's kind of like, he has this Achilles heel. Well, I've already told it to you guys before this episode, before we started recording this episode, I much prefer this version of the Punisher TV show than the one we got in episode five, where Frank is doing things like pulling people's hearts out through their chest. That's not my version of a TV show I enjoy. So I much prefer this version of a show where you see the emotional wreckage behind the eyes of an actor doing a great performance or 
there's, there is some violence in here as well, of course, like, as there is in every single episode. Um, but it, that's not my purpose for watching any TV show is just to see things get violent every week. Be pretty boring for me to do that. So I'm glad we have an actor with the emotional range of John Bernthal doing this show because he's so good. And, you know, I, I know him from Walking Dead. I know him from other shows that he's been on and other movies that he's been in. And he does. He is a very, very good actor. But I think he's showing his best at this show. I think the good thing about this Punisher is that he is constrained. He mm-hmm. he does have that emotional um, connection. Um, he can lose it, absolutely, and he gets violent. But I think that hopefully is kept to uh, a minimum um, because I, I think it's good to see that come out of the box as well, to see how unhinged he can become. Yeah. However, that restraints you know you had it with madani and with micro in the first season where they they kind of just reined him back a bit sometimes so he would shoot someone in the leg rather than in the head and that i think we have this same influence here with amy and it it adds something different it it adds the layers to this character whereas it becomes a bit of a slugfest um if it is just him sort of being uncompromising um I, I think it adds that compromising of of frank castle and the punisher um because it connects to his family and the reason why he does this is really really good um, yeah and I, I think that was uh, a great part here absolutely and it's also important for amy as a character to have these conversations with frank there is a very important conversation that they have where amy says i know i wouldn't be alive if you hadn't killed all those guys but it doesn't mean I'm happy about it. I don't like killing. I don't want people to be killed because of me. But I know that by doing that, I'm still alive. You know, it's an important conversation to have. And it's an important line to find with Frank. Because otherwise, he can stray into the villain of the piece. Because he's going around killing everybody uh, willy-nilly without any kind of uh, reasoning behind it. So having Amy there to just question, do you think it's right to just kill everybody you think is wrong? is an important conversation to have. And we do have Frank, again, treating her like a daughter here, showing her how to uh, get a gun from the assailant, teaching her that if she takes a gun off someone, be prepared to use it immediately, no matter who that person is, no matter who that person was in the past for you. Kind of teaching her a little bit of the punishment. Chris, you've talked about her a few times as being possibly a future sidekick for the Punisher. Another person that will go out and take punishment and vengeance out in other people. And we see a little bit of it here. I don't think Amy's ever going to get there because of this conversation she has with Frank. But I think this will definitely come into play in episode 10 or 11 where she takes a gun off an assailant and uses it on them because of Frank's training here. So, I guess, I, I agree. I Now, I'm less that she is the Punisherette. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that might happen. No. Little Punisher, L-I-L, with the, 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 the apostrophe. Little Punisher. <laughs> Drawn by Scotty Young, of course. Of course. Um... I don't know what they're doing with this character of Amy. I'm bringing this in now because it kind of very much relates to what you were just saying there, which is if they had have turned her into Little Punisher, right? Um, where she slowly, her arc is that she gets angrier and angrier and Frank starts training her. Right. And then she has redemption. Um, and she mm-hmm. goes, oh, I'm not this person. I can't do this anymore. I need to be better then I think that's good. But what we're getting now is she's willing to chastise Frank, but when he calls her actually on her BS around, like, you were there taking mm-hmm. photos of them and you, your actions caused the death of your friends, not 
this other thing. It doesn't sink in, and she's just like she does the normal sixteen year old type thing, which I understand. They're like they're, they're playing on that part, which she is. She's a she's a sixteen year old. She's etc. She grabs her stuff and because like I was like I'm yeah. I'm running yeah. away, and I was like, oh, you can't. Absolutely. Like have there are moments where she's the team. adult in the room. There's the moments when she's talking to Frank. In that way, as you know, a, a contemporary of him, knowing exactly what he's gone through, and there are other moments, as you say, Chris, where it jumps back to her being a teenage girl. He is so harsh in that version of a comment from the Punisher, but it, it does go to underline the kind of attitude he has to everything. Why he walks into a warehouse with sixty bad guys in there and kills them all is because if you're in that warehouse, it's your own fault. You made that choice, and today I've got a gun. I'm going to kill you. That's his whole concept. If he had walked in on. Amy and his gang doing a plan and they were in the room they would be dead and he wouldn't he wouldn't question himself so what that's exactly what he's saying to her is you made this choice you made the choice to be in that gang all of them made their choice to be there and they're all dead because of those choices yeah it's a really harsh moment and I can kind of see why she gets why it gets her back up because she's thinking of herself as a complete innocent here yeah absolutely I mean I I think the whole thing with the gun lessons as well like I I could see the point of that mm-hmm. um with respect to that you know the situation that they're in and so on yeah. um but I must say then it, it I kind of lost it really because um Amy goes I bet you're a good dad uh, did you teach any of this to your daughter effectively uh, it's like what I was like it's not that crazy you know family life in north america where you like have training guns and and all this and it kind of took me out of it for a moment because it was just like okay this is really weird normally it's like how to cook or maybe you're helping someone in the garden learn how to play golf or something (laughs) yeah or you play a sport yeah not like how to wrestle a firearm or even shoot (laughs) one like i mean okay um it's it was a little weird it took me out of it there a bit yeah I think what Amy's trying to do is underline again for her that this is a really intimate moment between her and Frank. Maybe, This is a moment that she feels really close to Frank. And did he have moments like this? But I know what you mean. It does come across as, did you ever train your daughter to use an Uzi? Exactly. That would be weird. It's like, okay, uh, and next week we'll show you how to do like a a nail bomb or something like that. Uh, It's like a bit weird. But I think um, just to segue from this point into our second bullet point, um, the plan to take out Poloznev mm. and everything around these photos. And, um, you know, the, the, the developed photo that they do here are two guys kind of embracing and, and kissing. And we've heard previously, you know, that it was at a funeral. There were a lot of people upset, uh, mourning, uh, crying, uh, and also kissing. But I, it, it's more of a familiar kiss, I think, rather than <laughs> anything um, uh, more than that. Yeah. Um, it's and a weird it, one, isn't it? They said that line, didn't they? They said that people were hugging, embracing, and kissing. And all of us heard it. And I think we even repeated it on the podcast. Yeah, that that's yeah. the line she said. But we didn't really realize that that's what they were saying. That it was two guys were together at, at, at here. That two guys were together at the funeral. And that she took photographs of that. And that's what she was there for. We didn't realize that that's exactly what the whole story was hinged on at all. No, exactly. And I, I, think, um, I think ultimately as well for me, I'm like absolutely with frank and amy i think they express it best in the caravan in uh the punisher's new headquarters you know mm-hmm. in, in this this real kind of broken down static caravan which is like you shrug and you go well so what yeah um you know it's two two guys kissing uh 
who cares? And I think, in a sense, I think this is part of one of the bigger issues I have with this episode is that um, I'm absolutely with the, with with Frank and Amy on this. Yeah. Um, however, for the Schultzes, this would be devastating, um, and for their plans and ambitions for their their son Daniel Schultz, mm-hmm. um, and also because we've not seen Daniel Schultz. And what he's doing, you know, is he in a sham marriage? Does he have children? Then it's something here where that photo or the weight of that for the Schultzes would have been better if we had spent more time with the Schultzes and um, to to really figure this out. Because ultimately, what we do is uh, in in this, and I really like the plan where they, you know, try and uh, bring Poloznev into this, you know, at the restaurant and so on. Yeah, it's really really nicely done. Um, but ultimately, we, we get to find out about the Schultzes from Poloznev. And even if over the course of the last few episodes, we had seen Daniel on the campaign trail with his family, with his kids, with his pet dog or something like that. Do you know, like being, being interviewed in front of the cameras where maybe he's giving contradictory, uh, you know, ideas as to how his campaign will run. Um, and similarly for Anders and Elisa, we've just seen them as being sort of benevolent to uh, the pilgrim and his wife and being in this church situation. And actually, really, um, and ironically, they're more like the Koch brothers um, mm-hmm. in, in that they own huge amounts of wealth. They have these big agro interests, these big commercial interests, all, all this kind yeah. of thing. And they're trying to buy their son uh, away to the White House so that they can influence policy and their own pocket, I presume, um, yeah. and their own vision uh, of how uh, society should should be. Or at least their um, industry, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if only we had gotten a bit more of this uh, from them, you know? Absolutely. Like, you think of shows like House of Cards, which is made uh, for Netflix as well, you know? There's seasons of that where two presidential candidates are going up against each other, where you see a couple of insights into the home life of one of the presidential candidates. And over four or five episodes, it gets built up, and then there's a big reveal about something behind that candidate. That's what you would do in this episode. If that's what's so important here about these photographs, tell us. Like, really, we've, we're five episodes into this show, and I thought the Schultzes were, you know, leaders in their local church, and we were going to get this really religious background going up against something else. That The whole challenge was going to be that this right-wing religious group were going up against the rest of society. But actually, it's much bigger than that. They're trying to put together the new Republican candidate for the presidential race, and it's falling apart because they're putting a platform together that this guy is an all-American character. But we don't know any of that. We're being told that. There's an old adage for filmmaking, which is show, don't tell. It's a film. It's not a book. You know, you don't have a character reading out some lines. You show things so that the audience can get behind and understand what's going on. And I think this choice here is terrible. And I suppose when you're trying to make a show like this, you're trying to find something that would be controversial about a a possible future president. And in real life, there's so many controversial things that have gone on in presidential races over the last couple of years that maybe this just isn't controversial enough. Maybe they've chosen the wrong thing here to show in a TV show because it it stands out as, oh, well, this guy's parents don't have any idea of who he is as a human being. So, well, they're idiots. Is it going to matter to the general populace of America that this guy's gay given everything else that goes on and who gets through to the president to the presidential suite in real life? Does this feel like a big enough scandal to happen? 
No, because we don't know whether he's married and has kids and we don't know whether he's been standing on the anti-LGBT uh, platform. Is that what he stands for? We don't know any of that because it's a Russian guy saying, this is what I think is happening and I'm going to be blackmailing them for it. Is it worth Pilgrim going around shooting people in the head, left, right and centre because their their son's gay? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense because we haven't heard any of that or seen any of it in the previous five episodes. I'm, I'm right with you guys yeah. on this. Literally... Uh, either this certain scenes have ended up on the cutting mm. floor, which I do, I severely yeah. doubt, yeah. based on the showrunner's previous yeah. work. I think this is just yeah. a misstep, and uh, it's a it's a massive leap misstep right now yeah. for me. It's because the reveal isn't a reveal. Like they've been leading to this reveal. Of, like why are the guys yeah. being chased? Why is it, why are they out to kill Amy and Frank now? Well, and Frank now. What was on those photos that took f- literally five and a half hours yeah. nearly? Okay, let's say, yeah, let's say, yeah, it's five, five and a half yeah. hours technically to get to, to tease this out. And it's, it's basically, oh no, the titans of industry, the Schultzes, have a son who they were grooming to be a president to take control so that they could put a presidential candidate there. As the Russian says, it's like, there's no longer going to be countries, it's going to be yeah. corporations, and they are the all-American. And, oh no, he's gay and kissed a man. But without the, he was either anti-LGBTQ, or he's married with kids, and or yeah. multiple other things, it has no wait in two days Absolutely. like if you if you set up an episode where this is a younger mike pence yes. character and then you have a photograph of him kissing another man yeah absolutely i'm right there with you i see what's going on here but if you don't do that to yeah, me it's I, just two guys kissing and their parents don't understand it it's not like we have never had a gay republican in america there have been gay republicans before that's all this is right now unless you tell me some more information or show me some more information about why they wouldn't like this now i'm gonna put one caveat just on this right which is Maybe this is leading mm. to something else, right? So maybe, like, again, we are six episodes in. We've got seven yep. episodes left. If this is leading to something else, and the showrunner is and the the, the writing team have this grand mm-hmm. plan. I'm like, okay, cool. You zigged when you should have zagged, but overall, it was worth it. Cool. Yeah. If not then I think this was potentially one of the biggest missteps because you've basically given us what we thought was going to be this massive yeah. reveal. And for me, it was like, yeah, like I think you are you said it best. It should have been, oh, it's a Mike Pence. And oh my God, like this makes so much sense. Oh my God, I can see why they're going to kill everyone. And I said, it's like, eh, well, like, okay. Yeah. Still there, there, sh- there should have been more context of the Schultzes in terms of Daniel and what he's doing as a senator and his family life and his campaign along with his relationship with his parents and the fact that his parents are effectively like the Koch brothers which are trying to buy influence and power uh, and maintain that at the height of the political system in the USA so it's one of those things I think that really needed to have that context and it could have been done just as as little snippets it's like with the cia and special ops link in the first season where you know you had these cutbacks to the guy with the with the with the one eye yes 
and to the CIA, the head of the CIA, and all, you get the story of their side as well, and it leads to the impact when the head of the CIA uh, suddenly um, is having that conversation in New York by the Hudson River uh, with the guy from Special Ops, where she's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, she makes that choice, and it has impact here. As you say, you're kind of like going... Okay, well then, the contradictions potentially in the Schultz's characters, both Anders and Eliza, um, are kind of obscured. They just seem maybe silly that they have put their faith in a son that they maybe already knew was gay. If that so much conflicted with their own sexuality and how, you know, a good solid family life, in inverted commas, um, should be. So it's a shame, I think, because it really took the power out of this photograph or these photographs being developed. Yeah, and I'm I'm totally with you as well, Chris. If this is just a swerve ball that's being thrown at us in episode six and we're reading it wrong and then next episode they say, no, no, it wasn't anything to do with that particular photograph. There's another photograph on there that's even more important. There's someone alive in the photographs that isn't supposed to be alive, for example, or something like that. Like we were speculating before, if it's not this particular photograph, if that's been read incorrectly in this episode, then cool, I'm absolutely down with that. That's great. But yeah, having the mystery of these characters for five episodes of the show and then revealing this, it feels like the, it's the wrong shorthand to choose. But there is so much else to talk about in this episode. Let's let's move on. Just part of that, that plan that we saw where we have Amy and Frank taking out Pelosnev uh, in, in the restaurant. I do love seeing the characters working together. I love the idea of, ha- of having Amy, this streetwise kid, using her smarts to get into the restaurant, serve the table, have the photograph, planted at the front of the menu when she's sitting in front of uh, Plaznav. That's really cool. I love Frank doing his drunken master moment outside of the car when he's, you know, channeling his inner Jackie Chan as he falls against the back of the car and says he's just going to pee against the back of it to get the driver to come out and then just punches him in the face and gets in. I love when Plaznav goes out with his guard um, exactly as he's probably done a million times, gets into the back of the car, his guard gets into the front and Frank just punches him and drives off. Great fun yeah, moments yeah. That, that look like they've really put together a good plan to get this Russian. It's, I think it's really cool. I, I really like the Amy part, the Griffin, yeah. the con job. Yeah. For me, that's something. And I think she actually does bring... I, I, I've talked about the character, but now I, I, I'm talking about the skill sets mm-hmm. of the character. This other side of Frank. Definitely. Um, which is like Frank is direct, brash, like literally, oh, there's a door. Let's kick yeah. it in. Whereas Amy brings, okay, no, there are other ways. And I literally loved that bit where she walks out and she turns the mm-hmm. corner and then I copped what she was doing. And I had seen the trailer. Right. I had seen her like flip her dress, uh, a skirt around. It didn't register with me what was happening. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, this is very cool. Uh-huh. Like this is the side that like Frank's team Punisher needs. Yes. Uh, which is like you can be crafty uh, because we know we know if Amy was not part of that this team Punisher, Frank would have just walked into the restaurant. We would have had a massive gun battle with the like turns out like twenty people who were yeah. also with yeah. Polisnev uh, as well. Yeah, and then that would have been it, and it would have been like Frank like fighting twenty people, and then so this is they single them out, and I was like that. That's cool. Absolutely. Not every plan takes a hammer. Some plans need a scalpel. Um, and you're right, Chris. There's a great moment there when uh, when Plaznev stands up 
and then suddenly there's about 12 other people in the restaurant that all stand up at the same yeah, time. Yeah, that was good. When you, do, when you don't realise it's not just him at his table with his two guards, there's loads of guards all around him. It's, it just shows yeah. the power of the guy, I suppose, and how difficult it must have been to get at him. Uh, and that's why this whole plan works. So, quick question. Um, yeah. And uh, Look, first of all, I, I, I don't want to be... I don't want to be down, too down on this episode, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying not to be, because our thing is that we look for the silver linings and et cetera, Absolutely. right? Um, did they miss the mark with Polosnev? Like, we got the impression that, were we supposed to get the impression that Polosnev was a titan of an industry? Yes. He was ex KGB. Yeah. Um, well, we they didn't directly say KGB, but they implied he was Russian intelligence forces, agency, yeah. special forces. So he was pretty much a hired spy killer. Mm-hmm. Um, did they miss the mark slightly? Because when Frank does kidnap him, he takes him to an abandoned warehouse. We get the explanation of everything in the photos and stuff like mm-hmm. that. He well, first of all, Polisnev just gives it up. Yeah, uh, like he just basically happily gives all this information out and then he basically yeah he he finally he resigns himself that he's gonna die and ask frank i did like the don't shoot me in the face because yeah. i did that or i saw someone like that and the wife couldn't identify me yeah but he just basically resigns himself to life and then mentions his death. like i was expecting i don't know like this character this was like the npc in a video game right so you, they come in for one mission. Um, they, they're not very well rounded. You, you would kind of expect more, and then they're done. Yeah, like like that's it. Like literally, we were. I was expecting like because we got the big Wikipedia reveal yeah. from the Russian gangs. I was expecting. I, I was expecting almost like an anti Frank, not an anti Frank. If you know what I mean, like a big, huge titan who was ex KGB, right. like. Um, basically, what's the guy from uh, Rocky? Carl Drago. Drago, yes, yes. Drago, yeah. Like I was expecting that yeah. to a degree, and what we got was not like the acting was fine, and yeah. like again, this is very, probably me. My expectations were higher for this. Oh, I know what you mean, and you have that that expectation because of the list of achievements that are associated with this guy. As you say, this Wikipedia entry that tells you all about this guy and what his past is. But they were going for a different shorthand. They were going for, this is a Russian who wants to control the presidency. So he has to be a a manipulative spy, effectively, who lives in America. That's what it's supposed to be. And we tell him, we hear him, he doesn't just give this information up to Frank. He gleefully gives it up. He goes, we got this photograph and we're going to blackmail this guy and he's going to be in our pocket. Like That's what he's saying. He's going, look how smart we are as a wonderful mother Russia is because we're able to get photographs that will embarrass this guy. And when he gets into power, which he will, he'll be in our pocket. That's what they're going for. That's the shorthand they're going for. But yes, you're right. When you when you think, think of um, ex-KGB or ex uh, Secret Service in Russia. You think of the James Bond type of of Russian military kind of thing. You think of those type of powerful people. Whereas this guy just looks like I don't know a lawmaker. I guess he looks like someone that works in Russian government, perhaps. You know? Yeah, I mean, to me, I I was kind of happy enough with uh, Plaznev here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I do like Frank um, calling out that he goes. Uh, call me old-fashioned, um, I don't work with Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a nice was little it. moment. I think for me, I probably also expected him to live beyond this episode, and maybe, you know, we do hear him say to Frank, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so I kind of 
thought that by necessity there would be some working together where ultimately um, Frank uses the Russian to undermine the Schultzes, mm-hmm. but ultimately bags the Russian as well to show that he was trying to influence the, the you know the electoral process in, in the US. Right. Um, but obviously that doesn't pan out. But I think Poloznev to me looks like that ex-KGB uh, who has then been entrusted with assets. He, you know, they've right. kind of gleaned their assets and become really rich through the fall of the old Soviet Union. Yeah. And, and maybe with time and um, you know he's become soft but also he's he's involved he's important because of the grace of uh, the russian president you know allowing him to do that exactly yeah. um, so even though he is all powerful his power is based on sand because if he doesn't keep favor with the russian president he can equally be gone so it, yeah. it, it kind of makes him timid again but um absolutely and remember this would have been written you know last last summertime maybe a little bit before that um so obviously with the climate that's going on you never want to have an american character going oh yes i'll work with the russians uh for any reason at all at that time that that would not have been part of the writing <laughs> process saying that will there is an acceptable reason to work with the russians uh this, there's no acceptable reason <laughs> at the time when they when they were writing this anyway so um so yeah so I, I do see what you mean and definitely there is connections here that are being revealed just purely because this guy is russian and purely because he's trying to influence the, the political process i think all of those are shorthands that the writers are trying to use to give you an impression of where they want to go with the show i just not sure whether they all work brilliantly well yeah do you do you remember the the film red or red Two? Mm-hmm. Retired and deadly. Absolutely. There was a Russian there. There was a Russian guy in that mm-hmm. who ended up actually, his character ended up kind of being in love with Helen Mirren. And it was brilliant. He was literally what this guy was supposed to be, which is XKGB, retired, living in America, oligog status. Um, I think that's what they were going for, and they just slightly missed the mark. Right. I think that's potentially the way. Anyway, gentlemen, I think that's enough of Polisnev, unless we have anything more to talk about there. No, that's it. I think we've got two Billy Rio points coming up, uh, because there's two big m- moments, really, in Billy's life that happened in this episode. Um, bullet point number three, with Billy realising Dr. Dumont's methods, we kind of see him peeking behind the curtain of Dr. Dumont. You know, there's one big problem, I suppose, if you're trying to treat one of your patients with um, therapy to help them out of a situation that they're in. If they're living in your house and you've got your records there, they're going to read your records and read your thoughts about what (laughs) what way you're going to guide them. And that's exactly what happens here. We hear that she did allow him to listen in on the session with Jake. That's why she had Jake over the house, because it did seem a bit weird that she wasn't bringing him to an office, that this other member of Special Forces who has a very similar situation to uh, Billy is sitting in the same house while Billy's there overhearing it. We didn't call it out last episode, but you did know there was something going on. But we do hear from Dr. Dumont that was on purpose to try and uh, help Billy out. But yeah, there's a couple of interesting things that we that we're kind of leaning towards here. I'm, you know, we see that he's reading this other patient that possibly has the same condition as Billy. Anybody else go and check every single Marvel comic book to find out who KM is at all? Yeah, yeah, and I can't figure it out. <laughs> I was like, if it was the other way around and it was Moon Knight, you'd be going, okay, right, we got we got a reference in here, but no. <laughs> they are going for some very distinct points. But before we do that, I also want to call out that she also, when she let Billy listen in on her um, session, yeah. she also lets Billy look in through the door at her. Mm. 
So we get this scene where we see scars on her spine. Yeah. And we already knew she had scars on her hand. There were lots of cuts, I think. Um, And she's obviously just getting dressed. And Billy's walking down the corridor and looks in through the door. And rather than go say anything, it's a very slow interaction where she does, in my opinion, give Billy a bit of a signal. um, And then slams the door. Yes. Um, on him, but slowly. And I'm like, hmm, okay. You're being as about as subtle as a brick in the face in this storyline, but yeah. cool. I'm, I'm, I know where you're going. Yeah. It's okay. I, I don't know if you guys want to talk about this because I'm the one who's been saying this moment is coming for you a have, while. In fact, yeah, let's, let's put the, put the pin in it, Chris. You've been saying for the last while that you've been getting some vibes of Harley Quinn, uh, for a while. Some of our regular Defenders TV podcast listeners know that myself and John have been covering Gotham TV podcast and they've just revealed their Harley Quinn and their Joker uh, on that show the last couple of weeks. So, um, I'm totally seeing this is a much more realistic version of that relationship. Yeah. And unfortunately comes with exactly the same problems that the Harley Quinn Joker relationship come from. He has got his, yep. his hand around her throat forcing her to a table and goes to kiss her and the camera pulls away and we don't get the end of that scene, but it looks like he's forcing himself upon her. Now, whether she had a moment where she closed the door too slowly for him earlier on in the episode or not, I don't think there was any reason why that particular scene happened other than Billy feels alone and he's in the house of a therapist at the moment. But it just feels really wrong to watch it. It feels like you needed a little moment afterwards. Or you, if you were going to say that they were starting a relationship, it definitely shouldn't be starting this way. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think as well, I, I like that everything kind of deepened a bit here between Russo and uh, Dr. Dumont. They've both got something to lose, says uh, Russo, you know, mm-hmm. after he's just made a, that cup of tea. It seems to me that, you know, all those scars on her from him something that's happened in the hospital or even beforehand maybe um you know does it go deeper than what we think i think i really like that she is um you know getting compromised but in effect she's put herself in that position anyway we Mm. see with um mahoney coming in to take um el subpoena the the files that she holds on billy russo uh, for his investigation and she takes out you know a a a few pages from the file and hides them from him uh so i i kind of like this i like that she's connected him and these other veterans because here we see that this band is is getting bigger so i i just wonder how deep this really goes and how long it's been going for she does say, I didn't reveal that you were here to Mahoney, because what would you have done? Because Billy has invaded her home and is now living with her and effectively keeping her prisoner. He says to her when he comes back after going to visit the guys, he he goes, um, I left. And she goes, please don't leave again, or at least don't get caught if you go. So it's almost like he's turned her into a prisoner in her own home. Um, we know she has some issues with the outside world. We saw those in a, in a previous episode, but... You know, is is there a little bit of, of what we said before, the um, Stockholm Syndrome, a little bit, where he's pushing her into situations that she wouldn't have naturally gotten herself into by living in that home? Yeah, no, there is. We do get the sense that she did leave and comes back and she's still mm-hmm. in her job. Yeah. Um, this is what the stink is. It's the Joker and um, Harley Quinn. And it's... Now, I'm with you on this. I did not need... Uh, her to stab him, him to force a kiss on her, yeah, and then fade to black. 
Yeah. Like, the, I, if this moment is this is where they're going, it should have more organically happened from her deciding to kiss him yeah. or not him forcing himself on her. Yeah. Now, again, I say this with a pinch of salt that the writers may be going somewhere with oh, this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, again, I'm reading into this, like, one scene too much. But... What what I'm starting to get the sense of is KM was a previous patient mm-hmm. um, who had similar uh, problems as Billy did. She had a romantic engagement, most likely with KM, um, and yeah. now she is, and it all went badly. KM is dead, most likely, or something along those lines, and she is uh, transferring all that love, attention, um, craziness onto Billy because yeah. she wants to fix Billy. Yeah, and. Billy is taking advantage of that. Yeah. Can, can I be really stupid here for a minute? I know Curtis you know, is normally spelled C. It is, But yes. is it, <laughs> I know, some weird um, abomination of his name? That, <laughs> no, that, his name that, of the show is definitely spelled with a C, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Okay, Grant. It's Curtis Hoyle. But it could have been K-M-C-H, and the M looks like like a H, and she doesn't know how to spell his first name properly, maybe. <laughs> it, it is Dr. Scribble. It is Dr. We is. know Dr. Scribble is notorious hard, hard to read. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to more about Billy into our kind of fourth point, yeah. bullet point for this episode, because Billy is building his new company. What we want to call this bullet point is the mask is on for Billy, because, yeah. oh, good, like... Why did she keep his gun and mask? <laughs> That's <laughs> the that was the bit I was like, she took the mask and gun home. Okay, yeah. um, it was a bit of a strange one. That's but anyway. true. He took the mask off and gave it to her, didn't he? I suppose, as we said last episode, this is uh, to do with the therapy for Billy. So potentially, she might have thought that they could continue the therapy when he gets caught and put back in prison next time, which is what she thought was happening when he was going on the run. Uh, but yeah, that is a really weird moment. Uh, maybe she had backups at home, <laughs> but you're right. Uh, really interestingly. But we do have this moment, and I know, John, you were saying before that you really love the mask on him, that it gives adds a little bit of depth to this kind of villainous side of Billy. Um, I love that he uses it to cover himself up when he yeah. goes to meet Curtis. And gets this conversation back in again that he doesn't remember what happened to him. He doesn't remember all the things he did in the past. Curtis was absolutely terrified of his former friend because he had him held at gunpoint in his apartment, you know? Um, There's been a terrible relationship between Curtis and Billy, and it's an interesting conversation to have. Well, if one side remembers that and is still terrified of the other side, how how does that relationship continue? Yeah, I I think this was really good, this um, conversation between Russo and Curtis. I, I love the fact that Russo goes, you know, in my head, we're still brothers. Yeah. Um, this is hard for me. Um, it, it, it was a real nice moment. And even just that, you know, he's trying to figure out still what's happened. But I also think then that Curtis kind of, you know, he, he addresses this moment about whether we should or should not feel sorry for Russo. And I think, you know, we said, I think two episodes ago, well, no, we don't. Yeah. Um, and I, I think here it's again, Curtis goes, um, but are you sorry enough to uh, hand yourself in and pay for your for your crimes for mm-hmm. what you've done? And of course, Billy isn't. So that mask is revealed. You know yeah. that it, it comes off that Billy, deep down, whilst maybe he still feels that it's because he doesn't know what he's done. If that in, indeed is still the truth, he will not 
hand himself in. Yeah. And he says this to Dumont as well, that he would have killed Mahoney if yeah. she had told him. So he is ultimately, this has this darkness within him that makes him choose poorly, effectively, when yeah. it comes to what he should do. And I like that Curtis sort of pulls that out uh, from him. I think that was really, really nice. I think also, it, unfortunately for Curtis, you know, we see him earlier with his his new lady uh, having hotel sex, you know, effectively to keep her safe so that he's not doing it back at his apartment where yeah. she might get uh, caught up and embroiled within this whole Russell thing. Yet... Russo does find him quite easily. Exactly. Uh, and, and you wonder to what extent, um, you know, the other veterans there are, are playing a part, if, if at all, because, mm-hmm. um, we, we just don't know. We, he's looking for, for Billy through them and, it seems as though Billy has gotten to find him because of them. He says, um, you know, that they were asking about him. Yeah. You know, he, he knows on the grapevine that he's been looked for by Curtis. So right. I kind of like this twist up where ultimately Billy gets ahead of him. I do wish the veterans were living by the old World War II idea of loose lips sink ships because, you know, these two should not know where the other one <laughs> yeah. is. Curtis is genuinely <laughs> in hiding here, you know. Uh, I do love this conversation. The other thing I really like about it is the fact that Billy is asking who it is that that caused his face to be sliced open. Who is who is it that caused this? He's looking for the simple answer, which is give me the person I need to point my gun at for doing this to me. And Curtis refuses because he knows it's way, way deeper and Billy is never going to give him the opportunity to explain how deep the story goes and why Frank did it to him. There's no way that Billy would ever listen to that and all Billy wants is the name. So um, I'm really... I'm really intrigued at how they're managing those two characters. I think it's probably one of the best things in the episode, really, is these two uh, playing off each other because you can see it all behind again. Curtis holding this information in. Billy knows he has it and he's going, I'm not telling you that. This is way too deep for you to know right now. You need to be in a much better place before you know who it is that did it and why they did it. Absolutely. And I think it's great because yeah. it leads to this therapy circle that Curtis calls. Um, you know, <laughs> and I, I That's do. a good way of calling it. That's it, a really good it well, is. scripture. It's, it's, the, it's the Billy Russo therapy circle because <laughs> Curtis, Frank, and Dina are all affected by him. Yeah. Um, I do like the moment as well because Dina is approached by the Pilgrim um, mm-hmm. in this episode that she's at Frank going, who is this guy? What have you brought to New York, which is involving me now? Yeah. Um, I really like that moment. You know, Curtis trying to keep it on track with this therapy session is about Billy Russo. Absolutely. That's how you get through loads of exposition in a couple of seconds, isn't it? You have a really angry Madani walking into the room, phone in hand, going, oh God, you're back in the city. I told you to leave. Get out of here. And you've dropped something on my on, at my door and you're still causing problems for me, even though I told you to leave. I love that moment as he just yeah. drops all this information on Frank. It's cool. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the, the, this therapy bit and Kurt's taking charge. One mm-hmm. thing I do want to call back just uh, as a quick aside is Ben Barnes acting yeah. in this episode especially in that Curtis scene mm-hmm. there was tears there was spittle there was like uh, there was condensation from speaking under the mask <laughs> <laughs> um so overall i just I, again ben barnes is kind of very much knocking it out of the park Absolutely. as this the, as this crazy jigsaw person but also as someone who is mentally disabled at this point in time mm. 
in yeah. terms of lost memories. And speaking of which, you do hear it from Curtis, where he says, you know, you can see it in his eyes. He is crazy. This is a crazy version of Billy. You know, and Curtis has known him for years as well. So he's now saying Billy's gone. The old Billy yeah. that you knew is gone. He's crazy. The reason I laughed when he said therapy session, because it is. Frank goes, I've let two people live this week. I need to change it. I need to fix so they made the decision that Frank vows he's going to kill Billy. And actually, there's no, for once, there's no backtrack by Madan. Everyone, yeah. like, even Curtis is gone. This is the way it has to be. Like, he's getting out of control. Because we hear about how Billy is pulling the vets together. Now, we got we always forget this. Yeah. He's a Marine. Like, so, like, he he's able to command... It, well, a is presence, but like he is able to shout orders and dictate army guys. And a lot of these, a lot of vets are trained from the army or their service that when someone shouts the order or someone senior shouts the order, you follow. You just, there's no questioning. It's just like bum, bum, bum. So we get this amazing scene where Billy has, is drinking with the, the vets. Uh, and we've, we, we get introduced to it, well, not introduced, but we see an additional five, I think it is there. Uh, plus, uh, one of the guys that Curtis is doing who gives him his glasses. Jimbo. Yes. Um, and he gets his car towed and they all run outside and then literally Billy jumps into action. And he's like, you go that way. We cut around this Absolutely. way. And it was literally <laughs> like a military procedure. So we go, yeah. it's like, let's use the pincer move. You guys, uh, three on the left, three on the right. Uh, you stop on the, in the road to do this. It's like the plan is like, yeah, straight yeah. out, straight out of Billy's mouth before he's even thinking about it. He's back in command again of, of his troops, you know, and they all line up right behind him again, you know? Yeah. It's a nice moment that I think, um, because it is this idea that Billy Russo is charismatic. Yeah. Um, and he, he is someone that people are willing to follow. Um, and I, to me, this kind of p- plays a part with Dr. Dumont as well, I think, as well, that there's a, is she transfixed a bit by, by Billy Russo mm. because of that inherent charisma that he, he has, uh, I, which I think uh, is really good. Just as well, quickly for me, uh, with the, the therapy circle, I do like the fact that as well, for Dina Madani, it's because of this visit by Mahoney where he plays that honest cop routine with her and he yeah. talks about, you know, if I've ever seen a haunted enforcement officer, uh, I see it in you. Mm-hmm. And he tries to get her to to come clean, to, to, to set the record straight, to build that trust with her. Yeah. And when she kind of refuses, you know, he talks about the kids on the carousel, how he goes and effectively gets it out of them that there was this third person yeah. uh, on the carousel and that it was Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mahoney's great in this episode as well. Yeah, he's he? really good. Really, really good. That line to her saying, I knew you were once an honest cop like me, it's really cutting to Madani. She still thinks she's on the right side of the law. Yeah. Even though she's working with Frank, she still feels like she hasn't compromised her principles. Um, and to get that from another cop, another man in service, it, you can really see it cutting through uh, her as a, as a character. Speaking of, uh, Curtis's girlfriend's gonna die, correct? Like, we're all in agreement here. Like, we, yeah. get, we get it, first of all, told how much he loves her, uh-huh. uh, or how much he really cares about her. We get introduced by a sex scene. We get a bit of backstory about how they cuddle in bed and blah, blah. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. This, this wasn't just to underline the, uh, the piece of dialogue from a previous episode that he says he wants to have a relationship with this woman. This is definitely setting her up. So we know who she is when she gets kidnapped and taken yeah. by, uh, 
by Billy's new gang, which is yeah. pretty much what's going to happen. But we'll see. We'll see how that's going to happen. <laughs> Closing out this first mission for Billy and his gang, they go after the tow truck driver, they get the car back, and then Billy goes way too far and beats the guy on the ground with his gun, uh, kind of pushing the rest of the band away, the rest of the gang away a yeah. little bit. Um, but it does feel like if they hadn't been around, he would have killed them. Yes, yeah, 100%. He was going that far. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But now they're a band of brothers. The band is getting together, whatever way you want to call it. Yeah, because we hear from Jimbo that he would be willing to follow him and do anything because he saved him and got his car back. If it wasn't for Billy, he wouldn't have gotten his car back. You hear him still justifying that what Billy did was right. This is a tow truck driver. He's paid to collect cars that are parked in the wrong place. He's just a normal, average New Yorker doing his job, getting beaten up. That's a pretty horrible way to end your day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. That's what I wasn't entirely sure. Was it just being towed yeah. because it was parked in the wrong place? Or, you know, in the canteen, we do get that conversation uh, after Curtis has given him new specs that he will now go and sort out his car because uh, he'll be able to read the forms. So, that, like, there was something going on anyway, and I was wondering... He hadn't taxed it or... Yeah, yeah is that why it was being yeah. towed? Yeah. Was, or just that it was parked on double yellows or something? Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it was something to do. He hadn't taxed it or hadn't done some of the documentation on it. But, yeah, I was taking it when I was watching the episode that maybe they were just drinking too long in the bar. <laughs> you know, he'd parked it for two hours and they were there for seven or something, you know? Like, we hear that the reason why he's caught by the cops is because Jimbo pulls over after getting his car back and goes for a nap in his car. Well, the police are probably going to catch you if you do that as well. Yeah, but also Jimbo was living out of his car. Yes. Yeah, so everything he owns. Everything he owns his car and he was eating at the homeless shelter. Yes. Um, so there, there's definitely that element to it as well. Yeah. So I think what they're going to go for on this is Billy's band is comprised completely of vets, basically Curtis's vets. It's the hard done by vets, the ones that feel like the world didn't give them what they deserved after coming back from protecting yes. the US in foreign countries. That's absolutely where we're going uh, this season. And yeah. we got, we could rob a bank. I know yeah. just the place. We got that line and then the smile from Billy. So we know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, we're, we're going to get all of the guys. So Billy's going to have his mask and they're all going to have the henchman version of his mask. Right. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will see that in a future episode. Let's close out this episode with the talk about one final character because another brilliantly directed scene, I think, here. Uh, the Pilgrim in New York. We heard about the fact that Pilgrim has been in New York before, uh, didn't want to come back. We heard that from the conversation with the Schultzes in the past. He is not having a wonderful time in New York at all. <laughs> No, I, I love this scene. Um, you know, you just get the seething hatred that this guy has for New York, yep. at least now in his new, uh, purer form. And I think that back and forth between the, the relative sanctity of his hotel room and the hustle and bustle of New York on the streets in this restaurant where he's casing it, waiting for, um, the chance to go after Madani to get information on Frank. And mm -hmm. again, um, it's just a wonderful connection through this episode of him dealing with New York and then that meeting between him and Madani. He knows Madani has lied, like Mahoney does, um, about the involvement of Frank and what mm -hmm. actually happened on that carousel to the point where he is so confident that she is not going to take him down. She's not going to uh, slap the cuffs on him. Uh, and he walks away and says... You know, come back to me when you're you're ready to talk. I, I thought that was really uh, nicely done, actually. Yeah. Um, I must say, I think Josh Stewart, who plays uh, John Pilgrim, is absolutely um, 
holds that iconic pilgrim look really nicely. <laughs> um, I, I think some of the scenes he's in, his expressions of disdain or of this moral disdain, I yeah. think are really nicely portrayed by him uh for sure oh absolutely give him his own horror franchise he's scaring the hell out of me every time he's on screen i don't want to be anywhere near this guy he's great really good yeah but the other thing i really liked about this is when madani you know has had that moment with the pilgrim she races back to the the cafe and says don't clean anything up and Mm -hmm. for me um I agree with the the forensic lab lady where she's like, I've been waiting for a moment like this. I think I would be the same. Uh, I'd be like, I was like, let's science the shit out of this Absolutely. now. Uh, that's, that's, it was so, so good. It's um, that moment when you're living a real life CSI episode where you're going, I could use all my tools finally to track down this one person because that never happens, even though it happens every single week on 20 different CSI programs. There's no way there's that many crimes that Absolutely. need to be solved in the way that they're solved in CSI. But, Loads but, of crimes happen, but not like the CSI ones. Definitely. It was just a real nice moment here. And yeah. Madani's expression of like, okay, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> you weirdo. But for her, this is brilliant. Absolutely. But Madani confirms it is totally confidential. Well, basically because she shouldn't be doing it. But that's why the forensic scientist is like, oh, yes, I get to work on a confidential FBI or Homeland Security thing. Isn't that great? Um, but we do have the other excellent moment with Pilgrim, which is probably shouldn't have been a shock, but we see the three Russians, Plasnev and his two guards going up in a lift, and then the lift door is open and two bullets, both, uh, both security guards on the ground, and then a little pause for a moment to allow Pilgrim to give one final look at Plosnev before he puts a bullet between his eyes as well. It's a great, gruesome moment for uh, for Pilgrim, showing how willing he is to kill anybody that gets in his way. Not his way. Anyone who gets in his... In yeah. the Schultz's, in the Schultz's yeah. way. And I think that's the really interesting point. When we see the Pilgrim is in his hotel room, he is reading the Bible, and right beside it is the f- family photo with his wife standing and mm-hmm. the, the two kids... So I'm getting it's like it's all for the family. Like he wants his family yeah. so much to be safe. Yeah, he's basically doing mm-hmm. this for the kids and the wife. Yeah, absolutely. And it also formed a really good uh, counterpoint to that moment in the cafe of the mental and craziness that is New York and then this absolute solitary silence that's in the hotel when he's reading his Bible and looking at the photograph of his family. It's a great a great juxtaposition between those two moments in his life, I suppose. Yeah. Did you see one of the cool things, though, is he has the three photos, the three folders on the desk yeah. at the beginning of the episode. And we see Madani, we see Frank, and we never got shown the third photo. Right. So the third photo was uh, Polosnev. Right, right, very good. At the end of this episode, we find that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he was there sent to kill three people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Because you just see Madani and you see Frank. And I'm like, are they going to show us the third? Oh, no. And then I just <laughs> forgot about it until the end. Yeah, very good. Very good. Nice touch. Any other blink and you'll miss it moments? Or will we move on to our defense, Chris? No blink or uh, you'll miss it moments on this one. Unfortunately, not for me. No, not for me either. And I've already mentioned what Nakazat means, so uh, nothing else from me. Yeah, so with that, Chris, do you defend episode six of The Punisher, Nakazat? I, I, guys, I don't. Uh, unfortunately, um, some of the storylines are falling flat for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, the two men kissing reveal mm-hmm. and the why this is all happening, the, the Schultzes, and like it's all falling flat because either we don't know more about it or it was just a massive missed beat. 
um, because like it's not shocking. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Uh, a, a religious family may find this bad, but we weren't given any more context. Yeah, we weren't shown this man running for a potential presidential candidacy, and we weren't shown him if he had been in the church talking at the very first or second episode. Mm-hmm. That would have made sense. Like if he had been there. And he was the pillar of the community and things like that. Yeah. We just don't have any of that. Absolutely. It's the way it's stripped out as they have a son and he's running for president and he's gay. Haha, there's our big reveal. Yeah, it's all done in one or two lines of dialogue rather than being shown yeah. over the five episodes of the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for the, that storyline has been to a degree zeroed out. Mm-hmm. And then I've been calling for a while with the billion Dumont that they're going for a Joker and Harlequin. And I don't enjoy it. I've seen it before played out through comic books. Through like, there, there's no new, there's no fresh take on this right now. Mm. Um, like nothing that's making me go, this is a cool take on that Harley Quinn Joker relationship, or this is a different take on a Stockholm syndrome uh, relationship, mm-hmm. or just there's nothing really that's making me go, okay, like what? Like I'm like, okay, just get to it. Tell me what, where, like. Bring, make, make her full on his or like the, this back and forth for six episodes when we clearly see it coming from like episode three. Yeah. I'm like, ah, come on. So look, I, I'm not, this is the first episode I'm saying I don't defend because I'm hoping that all these points pay off further on mm-hmm. and like it's just a misstep. That's it. Like I'm hoping these are missteps and they're going to rewrite the, the course if you will, in the next episode or in the following episode. But there's still a lot to love here. There's still some really good acting, like John Bernthal's acting, uh, Ben Barnes' acting, spectacular. Or even George Wingham's acting. Like, everyone is a fantastic actor in this. Like, they're all going above and beyond. It was just very much, unfortunately, a thread of storylines that have no payoff. So, unfortunately, I can't defend this episode, I will, as I said, hold my overall opinion to a later episode. And if I need to, I'll come back and I'll go, actually, now that now that we know more about it, I will have potentially defended mm-hmm. this. But as of right now, no. Right. John, on that bombshell, do you defend this episode of The Punisher? It's funny. I, th- I just uh, uh, defend this episode of The Punisher. I mean, the, the sad thing for me, I think, is this actually would have been my five out of five. Um, I do think there is an awful lot to love about this episode. Um, I just think from the opening, uh, I think, as you said, Chris, it is the best opening so far this season. Mm -hmm. I think this, for me, is the best Madani episode because she's pushed uh, by Mahoney. Uh, And and I think it really brings uh, these storylines together with that therapy circle at the end. I love that we see Curtis with... Billy Russo. Uh, I think even seeing Russo and Dumont's relationship uh, change unexpectedly. Uh, you know, a lot happens here with, with Billy. Uh, and you have Frank and Amy have that moment. I think the problem is we needed more Schultz. Um, the, the, that revelation of the Schultz and of their son just didn't work for me yeah. because we didn't have enough. And unfortunately, that is a massive part of this 
uh, episode and actually the season so far. So it, it, it's a little undermining uh, as we've talked about. And, and for that reason, I do defend this uh, and I give it a relatively high score with one ding and three bangs. Um, I give it four elevators of death out of five um, <laughs> because I think it should have been five. Right. And maybe I should take more than just uh, one point in my on my scale because of, of the Schultzes. But I think, like we've mentioned, possibly there's a zigzag here yeah. that zagzigs, and, and it will become apparent, and maybe we get more. But this reveal, which I think was the big part here, um, just didn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe it could be closer to a three, but that doesn't work with the three guys that died <laughs> in, in the elevator, unfortunately. So I'm kind of slightly constrained by my own crazy scoring method but well, you don't I, have to include the ding okay well then i, I <laughs> no it, no i i agree with you i think it's between three and four yeah. uh out of five and but i do mm-hmm. really think this would have been my five out of five yeah. if the whole schultz thing had worked and it didn't um and it with hindsight of the previous episodes yeah. it would have worked if we'd just gotten some more um storyline with them um, got to know the schultzes yeah. uh, and their crazy ways uh to be honest so i do just about defend this episode but it's a tough one for me to be honest uh so yeah uh, i do defend this derek do you defend this episode of the punisher i'm totally with both of you guys um with you john saying that i do defend it because if something happens in the future then that's fine if they do it well. But right now for this particular episode, I'm with you, Chris, that I can't defend it because the episode itself did everything, all the big reveals wrong here. You know, that first moment when you finally get that photograph developed that we've heard about since the first episode of the show, we should have been going, oh my God, look at the photograph. That's X character that we know for the last five episodes. Whereas I wrote it in the notes. Oh, they developed a photograph. There's two guys in it. Who are they? I don't know. <laughs> it's like it meant nothing. And then they spent half an hour of an episode getting to the point where they find out who it is. And even that reveal was, really? Okay. Oh, they have a son who's age enough that he could be going for president. Okay, that's new news. Oh, and he's gay. Oh, okay, that's new news. Oh, and you don't like him being gay. Oh, that's also new news, all told to you in a line of dialogue by a character we've never met before. So did any of that matter? Not really. Had it been revealed differently... Had we seen these characters together over the course of the last couple of episodes, absolutely this entire episode would have worked so much better. But we do get some great moments in the episode, which which is why I'm quite high on it. I love Pilgrim in New York. I love his reaction to all the mess that's going on around him. I love that scene with Billy and uh, Curtis when they're finally meeting back up after everything that Billy had done to Curtis last season. And Billy being trying to be apologetic for something he doesn't even know whether he should apologize for because he doesn't remember it. I think that's a great scene. And John Brenthal and uh, Georgia Wingham in this episode, their conversation outside of the school when Amy is telling Frank to think about his daughter possibly being eligible to go to that school across the road and you see his heartbreak thinking about the idea that he's lost his daughter and not being able to see her future. It's beautiful, absolutely great, a wonderful scene. I think that scene on its own, taken out of the episode, could be one of those standout moments from the season. So loads of great things about the episode. A couple of missteps, and unfortunately the missteps are to do with the overarching story of the entire season. So that's why it's a bit poor uh, to have them in this episode. So gun to your head. Uh Uh-huh. 
defends or do not defend? I'm going to have to say defend because of how great okay. some of those scenes are. And without this episode, those scenes wouldn't be there. So I have to say I defend the episode. So, um, But I'm hoping Perfect. we're going to get something more in episode seven when we get onto it. Gentlemen, let's see what other people have to say about the episodes of Punisher so far. Let's get into our feedback section. Yes, some feedback for episode four from Bob Phillips. He says, so if Chris Jones's three episode arc structure is right, I think we are in the evolution of Billy phase. Mm. Ooh. And good call Derek O'Neill about the mask decorating as a therapeutic act. Pretty Ben is scarred, but it's adding to his intrigue along with the possible traumas which have set him on the way. He kept making bad choices, but has had the deck loaded against him. Amy is perhaps being held up as an alternative. Mm. Not quite good, but choosing more wisely. What I really want to know is how long before Madani and Frank end up in bed. <laughs> uh, let's hope not, uh, yeah. I think. I was expecting Mahoney and Madani at this stage, as we get into episode six. I'm really? thinking Mahoney and Madani might have a relationship kicking off here. Curtis. And Mahoney and <laughs> Billy <laughs> and Frank and Madani. Maybe it should be... Yeah. Um, Let's solve it through love, not war yeah, in the final yeah, episode. Exactly. Yes, I like it. A menage they, à toi. À they, toi, could à toi. <laughs> yeah, they could all go to Curtis's uh, sex hotel. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, well done, uh, Dr. Phillips, as well. Um, over on Twitter, he actually shared a, an image of a therapeutic mask that was created for a kid who was going through some uh, really poor times in her life. Um, so, yes, that is something that's absolutely done, having people design masks to... Uh, emphasize things that they want to see on the outside uh, in this case billy chose the mask to emphasize the bad things he sees on the in, on his inside so uh, so i'm really glad i got that right without any medical training at all <laughs> well done <laughs> and i i'm gonna congratulate myself because actually our three episode arc structure is still as of end of episode six kind of working out maybe yeah maybe like literally like we've just got the end of the the, the photos mm-hmm, yeah in new york so we're on to the next arc which is the schultzes and their gay son um wow okay i thank you bob for basically reminding me of that because i forgot to even think about that yeah yeah (laughs) and and i'm here too (laughs) (laughs) providing excellent sounding board for all the other uh, hosts of Defenders TV <laughs> podcast. No, big thanks, uh, Bob, for all the feedback. Really good uh, to hear your thoughts on that, uh, for sure. Yep, thanks for that, Bob. Our other piece of feedback comes in from Jim Carrey. He says, glad the bartender is gone, but I expect she'll be used as a hostage material eventually. This show right now is very interesting. I never follow Punisher solo and don't know about these bad guys. Obviously, Jigsaw sounds like a recurring favourite. Uh, wondering if we'll get micro or any powered cameos could you use a good night nurse right now? Yeah, as we said earlier on in, in our podcast, Jim, there's actually no uh, character called Pilgrim in the comic book, so this is a brand new character for the show. Uh, Jigsaw, again, very different storyline for Jigsaw in this show than in the comic book, so I don't think we'd be spoiling anything by saying that he is a villain of Frank. We know he's Jigsaw now. Because of the scars on his face, we know that he's Jigsaw he's kind of been referred to, but I think that's all we're going to get. We're probably not going to get a storyline from the comic books translated into the show uh, for the future of this. As for any other cameos, I'm thinking we're probably not going to get Micro uh, back in this season. I think I've mentioned it before that I think his story's done. We may get him for a phone call to help Frank out, but we're probably not going to get him in the show itself. Uh, and this show, as for powered cameos... Mm, I kind of feel like the Punisher is one of those ones that's trying to steer very clear of the MCU, uh, very clear of the of the powers uh, individuals that are in other shows. Uh, they have said if there's going to be a season three, we may get Daredevil in that show, but um, 
Whereas of right now, I'm thinking this show is going to stay with the army and with those type of foes. It's a different style of show. Mm-hmm. It's based in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So a lot of the things can interact, such yeah. as Daredevil. But the, the Punisher punishment is a different. It's a war comic, if you will. Yeah. It's an yeah. a- action military comic. Absolutely, absolutely. Jim Carrey goes on to say, little detail, does anyone else think the closing music, the pre-credit kind of outro jingle or whatever it's called, is sometimes a bit inappropriate? Sounds like something from a cheap sitcom occasionally. (laughs) It's a weird one, isn't it? Punisher has always been associated with like metal music. You know, even the first trailer for season one had Metallica on it, you know, one of those kind of things that you've always seen, you know, people with the skull tattoo on their shoulders are always metalheads, really, you know, for the most part. But I would kind of see this version of Frank Castle. I'd see him in a bar, you know, like the one we saw at the, the start of this season in this kind of bar with, you know, kind of rock country music playing, which is what this theme always sounded like. It had a mix of that kind of country music, that rock music, and a bit of the army kind of vibe to it as well. So I've always liked this theme tune. But of course, it's never going to work on every single episode. And to be honest, Netflix goes so bloody fast. At the end of the episode, I hear about three seconds of it before I'm reaching for the controller so I don't get to see the next episode. So I get to turn it off as quickly as possible. So I've never really noticed the the jarring nature in the final uh, piece. It just tells you this is the end of the show. We're on to the next episode. And finally, Jim says on on that, he says, on many standard TV shows, they have variations of closing music uh, for it. 24 at special graphics if the main character died, for example, in an episode. Um, We've kind of been saying this about the Netflix shows. They kind of stick with their opening and closing themes. They don't really change them season to season. I know a show like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, also an ABC Marvel show, um, does change its intro every season. They have a different symbol for the show, each season showing progression of all the characters. But I think that's just a different type of show than we get on Netflix. They've chosen their style of character, and it's supposed to inform you what type of show you're watching, not what type of episode you're watching. Exactly. And also, yeah. Netflix, you don't get the full outros because mm-hmm. typically it auto plays the next episode for you within five seconds, which yeah. is getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> that jump for you, myself and Derek when we're trying to go for the remote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the intro, now they allow you to skip the intros. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, I remember reading a piece on Netflix saying that more and more, they're seeing that that feature becoming more and more and more used because when people are binging certain shows and you've selected skip intro uh, on one of them it will skip the intro on multiple ones then so for example uh, I watched Big Bang again just having the background and I skipped it on one and then all of a sudden it was skipping it for me in the app uh, on the the follow up ones because it was just running in the background and I'm like that's very interesting the Big Bang Theory yes can you find a way to skip the entire show so I never have to see it? <laughs> yeah, I can. It's actually called Don't Watch It. Yep. I've done there that. Go. That's see? always good. Always good. Uh, go. Let's go on to some episode five feedback, Chris. Sure. Uh, Michael Walling said, it seems like Amy is Frank's new micro for this season, mm-hmm. considering her decent tech savviness. I have no idea if micro shows up this season, but I think I'll be okay with it as long as Amy sticks around as Frank's new sidekick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Mike. We actually talked about this a a lot I, like I, I know Derek's very adamant kind of he's micro's storyline is done we don't really need him back I'm with you I'm like I'd like to see him come in for one just to outfit the Punisher a bit and the, but I'm with you in that Amy is the new micro Amy is the new I don't want to say sidekick like um, she's the little Punisher mm-hmm. L-I-L dash Punisher <laughs> Yeah, I could like I can see that. And I think one of the things that's different about The Punisher as a show is that 
it feels like they're not trying to create a cast of characters that surround Frank. It feels like, yes, we've got Madani in here and we've got Billy and we've got Curtis, but it's not like he's got his entire team together working on a problem. So it feels like people will constantly come in and out of Frank's life, help him out in certain situations, and then they'll go away and Frank will continue on with his next uh, phase in his life, whatever that may mean. So I don't know whether we're going to see other people coming back in that worked really closely with Frank. Uh, and I don't know whether after this season will we see Amy again. I don't know. Um, but I definitely know Frank obviously will be his type of person and he will bring people in and out as he needs them. Yeah, thanks, Mike, uh, for uh, the feedback. Uh, I would love to see Micro uh, come back uh, as well. I'm the only one. I love the actor. I love the actor and I love uh, I love the character of Micro as well. Um, I just don't expect to see him back. Right? Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it would be nice to see him back. Some more feedback on episode five. Bob Phillips says, the evolution of Billy carries on with greater control and I think the first steps to a jigsaw army. Nice. And the joy of punishment appears in the gym. As the saying goes, no pain, no gain. Absolutely, Bob. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm very, very happy that my uh, workouts in the gym don't end up with that amount of pain, though. Um, <laughs> True. I'm a, a little squeamish. Uh, in fact, I may do power walking on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do like the name Jigsaw Army because that means then everyone is a piece. I like it. I ah, like it. Yeah. See, look at this. Thanks so much for all the feedback. Great to hear from all of our fellow Defenders as well. If you want to send us any feedback, you can email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com and record any feedback you have on any episode of the show, up to 90 seconds of your thoughts, and we'll talk about them on our next episode. Uh, please come back and join us next week for our review of The Punisher Season 2, Episode 7. I'll go on then. And also make sure you subscribe to the podcast over at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Loads of options there. We've got Stitcher, we've got Spotify, we've got Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Loads of options there for you to subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to Defenders TV Podcast because next week on the 30th of January, we have the 400th issue of Doctor Strange coming out. So we'll be talking about the 400th issue of a comic book next week on Strange Tales on Defenders TV Podcast, which you'll get through our full Defenders TV Podcast feed. I think that's all I have to promote for this week. Yeah, I think it will be a smorgasbord of Defenders TV podcast next week. The Punisher, and then a bit of comics for yeah. light relief, I would say. And of course, come and join us over on Gotham TV podcast for our coverage of the final season of Gotham. Yes, Crazy Gotham Mental. is in full swing. Um, we have started doing our three most surprising uh, moments of the episodes they have gone so dare i say it batshit crazy um and uh yeah it's good fun down in gotham uh, with a lot of blood as well it's not far off the punisher for the uh liters of blood juice i would think maybe maybe it's definitely a different uh, a different feeling watching an episode of gotham versus an episode of punisher we'll yeah. say. but so I'm, I'm glad we have both sides of that <laughs> absolutely but fellow defenders we will be back with our review of the punisher season two episode seven one Bad Day, uh, which will be up next Tuesday. How cool is that? That was an episode of uh, of Gotham last season. As it well. really one was. Bad Day. You know, we have we have Joker and Harley Quinn. We've got One Bad Day coming up next week. Look at this. Just everything's crossing over. It, this is so 2018. <laughs> <laughs> everything's coming up, Millhouse. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Ding. A lot of people tend to lose the blues, but I'm
Got no money. You got me.